Well, this is Current Yield, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. And uh, I am Jim Grant. Welcome to our podcast. And with me, as is customary, is uh, Eric Whitehead at the control panel. Eric today is resplendent in a shirt of many colors, uh, stripes, patterns. Uh, I don't know, is that a pousse color? Is a, anyway, it's a certainly is a handsome shirt. Yeah, it's got a, kind of a spring vibe. Yeah, even though, even though it's fall. Yeah. And uh, the great Evan Lorenz, who is not here, but is virtually here. Hey, Evan. Good morning. And uh, Phil Grant is wearing white, as is his old man. White, uh, so we need to air as the color man today. Let's see, I wanted to, first of all, thank our listener, Matthew Phillips. Matthew was listening, uh, I think, a week ago when uh, said something disparaging about this annoying, redundant phrase, social distancing. And uh, Matthew wrote in to say that, uh, yeah, that annoys him too. And that he proposes that what we do is uh, organize a contest to see if we can go the bureaucrats one better. He has a submission. The first submission is the following. Uh, In lieu of social distancing, why not, uh, Matthew proposes, governmentally recommended, morally suasive, physically remote social distancing? I think that's fabulous. It's got a nice ring to it. Many syllables, uh, utterly redundant to the point of uh, incoherence, and uh, but still pleasing in its uh, satire. So well done, Matthew. I think that Matthew is the winner of his own contest. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's definitely the best submission so All right. Far. So um, what do you think he gets for the prize? Uh, exactly. Yeah. I was thinking the same a thing. So, uh, uh, a hearty handshake if he were here, but he's not here. He's, I think he's in Pennsylvania, Mars, Pennsylvania, if I remember right. So uh, I think that we're going to send him one of our Grant's t-shirts, uh, perhaps the one with the... Uh, uh, one of my favorite cartoons on the back side, the obverse side of his T-shirts. The scene is uh, is the front door of a suburban home, and uh, a boy is looking surprised, even shocked, at a visitor who is dressed in a rather severe suit and holding a briefcase and uh, missing some of the hair on top of his head, as some people do at a certain age. And the older gentleman is saying to the boy as follows, Hello, young man. I'm with the Federal Reserve. Today, we're buying baseball cards. And that was, um, we published that in 2010. Yeah, so is that prescient or early? Or is it just kind of the wrong thought? Anyway, that was 10 years ago. The same shirt has the same look and bears the same helpful message today. So Matthew Phillip is coming at you. Now, I, we have no guest today. We are all by our lonesome. I want to bring in the listeners of uh, Current Yield to help me solve a problem. And you can do this by imparting uh, virtual energy over the virtual telephone thing? Yeah, that's right. Evan, you're, you're, uh, or Eric, you guys are technologists. What exactly is the uh, is a thoroughfare by which our voices are reaching our listeners? What is it? It's like, it's a fax machine or something? Is it, what it, no, yeah, the, no magic, never, the magic telephone. Never you, mind. You, play, All right. you press the All button right. and then so, you hear the, yeah. the voices. There's a little man inside if the phone, actually. our listeners would help with a little bit of virtual energy, I would be most grateful because today, um, same day, this is uh, Thursday, September 17th at five o'clock Eastern time, I am committed to give a virtual talk to the uh, clients and investment professionals at Guggenheim Investment Management. It's part of their conference. Now, ladies and gentlemen, perhaps you live in terror of giving a talk in person, by Zoom, by Skype, by phone, by fax, whatever it is, it doesn't please you to think of that prospect, right? That's, that's kind of a universal thing. One here is that people would do anything except give a talk. Right. Um, yeah, so I'm doing it. But I thought that it would be helpful for the listeners of this podcast to know how you do one of these things, right? How you yeah. put together the ideas. Uh, what's the structure? Evan, you with us? I, I don't even see you. Are you, are you here? I'm here. All right. So, what, so what we're going to do with the help of the uh, vast current yield audience, which is uh, giving us a little bit of energy, 
is to um, have a little dress rehearsal, right? Everyone, everyone needs a little practice, okay? So I am going to, um, with the help of Evan and uh, Phil and Eric, I am going to hit some of the high points of what I propose to say to the, this uh, very discerning and formidable audience of Guggenheim Investment Management. So I'm going to begin by saying that the, the, the title of this talk, by the way, is Benjamin Graham, Call Your Office, which, of course, is an allusion to the father of value investing and a somewhat facetious uh, swipe at the present day, which is the anti-value setup, right, Evan? I mean, uh, uh, you were lamenting before we came on the air that it's hard to find cheap things to invest in, no? Yeah, yeah. They basically don't exist anymore. Right, right. Even the um, S&P 500 value index is trading above where it uh, did back in the dot-com peak. Yeah, that's not encouraging. Anyway, um, so Benjamin Graham, call your office indeed. Benjamin Graham, of course, is not with us. He wrote the, uh, uh, the great tome, Security Analysis. The first edition came out in 1934, and he was no spring chicken when it appeared. So Benjamin Graham is no longer with us. Unavailable to call his office, but uh, we will figuratively call it in on the part of Benjamin Graham. All right, so um, I've got this talk to give. I've got a half an hour to do it. Let's get down to business, all right? So um, I'm going to say, ladies and gentlemen, a bond is a promise to pay money, but what is money? Now that is the trouble with Zoom is that line is going to fall absolutely flat and I will not be able to see the whites of the eyes. I will not be able to say whether it engages their interest or whether it is one of these things that, that uh, your high school teacher would ask the class rhetorically and everyone would drop his eyes wishing he were in phys ed, right? Ever been there? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm going to say um, the question of what is money is in fact integral to the investment backdrop of the year 2020, because all around us, uh, the nature of money seems to be changing, even as the proposition to buy securities denominated in money, that seems to be, uh, uh, seems to be less and less appealing. And yet at the same time, more and more people are availing themselves of it. That is what Alan Greenspan used to call a conundrum. Can you spell conundrum? Uh, undoubtedly. It begins with a C, I think. Yeah. All right. So, Evan, what do you think so far? It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Evan, you you, you got to be a little quicker with these. Uh... Great job. Oh, yeah. Outstanding. Who's going to be Employee of the Month? All right. Fantastic. Thanks. More like it. So, I'm going to begin by quoting a uh, British Prime Minister of yesteryear. Yesteryear being 1818. And the statesman's name is Lord Liverpool. Quote, said Lord Liverpool on the occasion of... Uh, the eve of Britain's returning to a gold standard after the paper money interlude of the Napoleonic Wars, said Lord Liverpool the following, the tendency of an inconvertible paper currency is to create fictitious wealth, bubbles, which by their bursting produce inconvenience. God, I love that, inconvenience. All right, so I'm going to go on and say um, there is a, a big anniversary coming up. Phil, you with me? Yes, sir. Uh, Evan, you there? Oh, for Christ's yes. sake. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> um, next year will mark the 50th anniversary of the decline and fall uh, fall of uh, the Bretton Woods uh, currency regime. Now, this had been enforced from 1944 to 1971, August 15, 1971. And this was a system under which the dollar was exchangeable at the pleasure of our overseas creditors into gold at the rate of uh, an ounce for $35. So the dollar was one thirty-fifth of an ounce of gold. This, was in, this system, as I say, was uh, in place uh, from basically the end of the World War II to 1971. So next year will mark the 50th anniversary of the pure paper monetary regime. We've gotten used to it, right? Yeah. I mean, you have to be... It's natural now. Yeah, you have to be as old as some of us at this table. Okay. It's one of us at this table to have recalled anything except it. And next year will mark the... Uh, the 40th anniversary of something else. Uh, September 30th, 
1981. Now, um, remember, what was the movie uh, in which Ben Stein said, uh, Ferris Bueller's oh, Day Ferris Off? Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Ben Stein is playing the uh, teacher in the front of the classroom, and he's saying, oh, the Holy Swoop terrified. Yep. What would anybody? Anybody. So Evan Lorenz, September 30th, 1981, something happened, and next year, almost exactly a year from now, will mark its 50th anniversary. 40th. Sorry, 40th anniversary. What was it, Evan Lorenz, comma, Deputy Editor Grant's interest rate observer? What was it? It's a date that I'm highly interested in because it's also when interest rates peaked. Ah, yes. That was the day the long bond uh, traded at 15%. And it marked the nadir in price, the peak in yield of the bond bear market that had been in place since uh, 1946. So that's, that's, uh, that was a long run, too. That was 35 years of uh, bond prices going down, interest rates going up, not every year, of course, but uh, that was the tendency for 35 years. So it peaked, did bond yields peaked in 1981, and next year will mark the 40th anniversary of their continued decline. I haven't checked recently to to refresh myself on the dollar volume of bonds quoted uh, nominal yield of less than zero. Have you have you looked recently, Evan? It's around 15 trillion. The last I looked. Yeah. So. You could have knocked us over with a feather, we ancients, in 1981 if you said, all right, today bonds yield uh, 15, 20%. I remember the 20-year yielded actually 20%. It was a 20-year. Bond yields, I would have heard someone, some uh, prophet say, uh, in your lifetime are going to be trading at yields of less than zero on a nominal basis. And I would have said impossible, but it's happened. So what does that what does that tell you? I mean, people, people want to invest for a certain return of less than nothing denominated in currencies that the central banks of the world have announced they intend to depreciate. Now, Phil, is that something you want to do while sober? Not necessarily. It doesn't, it doesn't come to front of mind. And yet, and yet, uh, people, many of whom I dare say are smarter than the people, or some of the people, yeah, fine, all the people at this table, are doing that. What do they see we don't see? Not, not just that, but the, uh, the bonds with the negative yields are called the safe assets. Yeah, that's right. Super safe. Super safe. God, that annoyed me during the uh, <laughs> 2008 and nine. Let it out. Let it out. Yeah. Wall Street Journal, super safe assets. Super safe bonds. Well, they were right, yeah. I guess. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They were right. In a way, in quotation marks. They, they, what they right. should have said was super, super, <laughs> super duper safe. <laughs> All right. So what do these what do these people know? Well, they know that um, there's a powerful bond bull market in force. They know that uh, the world likes it. They know that central banks like it. They know that central banks have pledged. Recently, the Fed has pledged to keep interest rates, the short-term money rates, that is, at zero through, was it 2023? Evidence of 2,123. I, I, I forget these dates. Anyway, a long yeah, time. At right? least until 2023. Yeah. yeah. Providing, providing inflation goes up. I mean, it's just the most extraordinary world. And as a feature of these low rates and of these pushy, handsy central banks, I love that word. Some people apply that word handsy actually to both presidential candidates this year, yeah, right? Yeah. Handsy guys. Reach out and touch someone. But the, uh, the Fed, I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, is the handsiest institution in public life. It can't keep its paws off the markets for financial assets. So what has this done? What is this? Evan, are you in a possession of the uh, the handout that I intend to speak from in my presentation this afternoon? Yeah, I have it in front of me. Yeah, all right. I want you to, uh, to help me help our listeners go through and highlight some of the consequences 
of this particular monetary regime. I, you see a, a page about two or three pages into it where it says uh, leverage pushes higher. All right. Yeah, that, that's there. a graph of domestic non-financial debt to GDP. Hold it, hold it up to the microphone. Look, okay. <laughs> and if you look from about 1951 until basically the end of the 70s, it ranged anywhere from like 120% to just below 140%. Right. Then all of a sudden, the 80s, it jumped up to 180%. And currently, it's uh, rocketed up to around 260%. Right. So um, low rates, uh, that encourages uh, financial leverage. No, I suppose it must. And, um, and the need to generate yield is also a spur uh, to lending and borrowing. Phil, you look in the next, uh, yeah. what does that show you? This one is um, it's a graph of, uh, of outstanding federal debt since uh, 1790. And as you would expect, it has featured a, um, a parabolic increase. The caption is time to the next trillion. And right. um, uh, importantly, uh, we note that it took 192 years for uh, the US federal deficit to reach um, $1 trillion. Right. Um, it uh, took 27 days to amass uh, incremental additional trillion between April 1 and April 27. So 192 years to the first one and uh, 27 days for a recent one here in the year 2020. Yeah, of course, people will say uh, that's a pandemic, uh, extraordinary. Yeah, but we had, I was alive in 1968 to witness the Asian flu. I didn't, I heard not one word about it. I guess I must have read something about it. I have no recollection of anyone paying any attention to it, although I think the mortality rate was higher than COVID-19 currently. I think that's correct. At least it was, it's, it's a, it was, a, it was a, in retrospect, certainly, and I dare say in uh, the moment to those who uh, fell victim to it, it was a very serious epidemic. But my goodness, it, it made no national impression that I can recall. I was starting college at the time. I was doing high school and grade school, I suppose. Did they have Zoom then? They didn't have fax machines. <laughs> anyway, the, 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 last, the last thing that people would have thought about was canceling life to... Uh, con- anyway, so yes, there's a pandemic. And yes, it has elicited the most extraordinary federal response. But still, the parabolic line that Phil described was in place well before Dr. Fauci said either do or do not wear a face mask. It began along about the uh, 1970s, right? 1971, actually, you can trace it to there. So leverage pushes higher, debt pushes higher. And uh, what else do we see in this fabulous package of handouts? What, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you're presenting a speech. Do not say, and the next slide. And the next slide shows this. And the next slide. No, that is bad, bad form. But what this is, and then now the speaker will say, um, now this is a busy slide. You can't see this, but I'll explain it to you. That's, 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 <laughs> that's, that's, that's going to put them to sleep, especially on Zoom. But I am going to describe to my um, audience this afternoon how over the course of three cycles, over the course of 20 years, three cycles, we have seen lower rates, a greater, more strenuous Federal Reserve Bank intervention to uh, stop the bleeding, whether it be financial or commercial, and a greater buildup of debt in the wake of the respective cycles. As for the um, momentum, is it not, Evan, of, um, of present public policy is to, is to meet difficulties uh, with more firepower, right? As they say, tools, more tools, the Federal Reserve toolbox. Yeah, we've all become adherents of uh, modern monetary theory. Oh, oh, speaking of which, have, have, have we jammed in a commercial yet? For nope. Fall? Yeah, I think probably it's time to stop just momentarily, if you will excuse. But this is a, this is an this is is an infer infer well, it's, it's an informative commercial. Informative commercial. Advertorial. Because I'm going to tell you a little bit about the fall conference we're having at the Plaza Hotel on October 20th. 
and uh, you should be there in person or in splendid virtual isolation by webcast. And the reason you should be there is the uh, quite stupendous lineup of speakers. And I've mentioned many of them in prior broadcasts of uh, the current yield of Jim Chanos, the great short seller, Monica Erickson, an extremely accomplished fixed income person out in uh, uh, works with uh, Jeffrey Gunlock in um, California. Uh, Bruce Flatt, a real estate savant, an investor. Dylan Grice, uh, investment strategist, on and on. But I wanted to stop there alphabetically and pause for a moment uh, and talk about Stephanie Kelton. Now, Stephanie Kelton was an advisor, was an advisor to the, uh, the Bernie Sanders presidential campaign, and she is the doyen of modern monetary theory. She has uh, picked up the, uh, uh, the baton from the late Abel Lerner and has written a, a book Evan, what was the uh, what was the the tweet that went out yesterday in support of Stephanie Kelton and the Ice Cube, who was a very <laughs> yeah. famous rapper in the '90s and went on to become an actor uh, in the last two decades, tweeted, "America loves to cry broke, but in America, money does grow on trees." Yeah, well, that's so. Stephanie Kelton is going to make a you know a seemingly for a grants conference an incongruous speaker, but no, we, we welcome. Uh, it's a big tent grants interest rate observer conference. We have all manner of ideas. And so long as the speakers are knowledgeable and engaging, which Stephanie Kelton certainly is, we welcome these. And she'll be joined finally by Mervyn King, a former central banker of the Bank of England, and Joe Lawler, a short seller of biotech stocks, Cy Jacobs, a terrific investor who specializes in financial stocks, and John Paulson, who basically uh, earned the world's GDP in 2008 and it's got some other ideas now. So that's pretty good, right? Yeah. It's October 20th. And Eric Whitehead, I think that if people uh, want to come, they can still come virtually or in person, right? Yes, they can. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, uh, I mean, the the ticket that cost is something absurd. I can't believe how cheap this thing is. I think it's, what was it like a, it's nothing, sensibly, right? Well, no, it's 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 some it's a it's a four-figure number. But I'm going to say, Evan, that you are likely to hear an idea or two at this conference that will more than repay the two thousand dollars plus or minus a little bit that will cost you to get in. Is that is that not a fair assertion? Not only that, but it's one of the few investments out there that's priced to return a positive return on investment. Right, and also I, sh- I should add and will add that uh, although they, the city fathers, <clears throat> that idiot canceled the Radio City, oh, no, no, Blas, Mayor Blas did not cancel the Radio City Music Hall Christmas Spectacular. That was the actors themselves, the, uh, the, uh, the business people behind it. They canceled. Uh, Metropolitan Opera is dark, as is the New York Philharmonic. So the only, as far as I know, the only live cultural, financial, or political event on the New York City calendar is the Grants Conference. And you're not going to be there? <laughs> you're not? I, I hardly think I so. I hardly think so. Okay. Enough of that. Okay. So, uh, so, con- so to continue the thread, so uh, uh, a bond is a promise to pay money. What is money? Uh, money is uh, grows on trees. And we have the evidence in the unintended consequences of these very low rates, which uh, include, but no, do not uh, exclude uh, high leverage. So Evan, um, the other day there was a singularity. Uh, the market capitalization of Apple subsumed an entire asset class. Can you elaborate? Yeah, it, it basically it hit 100% of the Russell 2000 market cap. So basically, Apple, the largest company in the U.S., 
had a market cap equal to the 2,000 uh, small and medium-sized companies in the country. It's a fantastic sighting, but it's just amazing how much valuation has been concentrated in one company. Yeah, reminds you a little bit of, uh, of Radio Corporation in America. And the concentration was not so not, not so pronounced in 1927, 28, and 29, but it was the darling, speculative darling, and what's radio doing? And that uh, you know, it's on everyone's lips. So uh, yeah, so concentration, a well-known uh, phenomenon of uh, the six or eight favorite tech stocks uh, constituting an immense amount of market cap. That's part of the speculative zeitgeist. Um, and so too is the paradox that uh, the aforementioned Russell 2000, uh, it, features, uh, it features a kind of a strange setup with regard to uh, earnings. You've heard about negative interest rates. Phil, what do we have in the way we of- We have not just negative interest rates, but growing proportion of the Russell does not make money. So um, as of two weeks ago, uh, we, we calculate that 45% of the index, so just under 1,000 components of the Russell 2000 are, are operating under uh, you know negative earnings. Negative that, gap earnings, yeah. Negative, right, these under gap, yep, importantly. That compares uh, to about 25% in uh, the middle of 2012. So we have a, a, a doubling over that over that period of, uh, a near doubling of, of loss-making components. Of Devin, what might be the ameliorating or extenuating circumstance or circumstances for the show of negative gap earnings? And what people say now, of course, uh, they say all sorts of things with regard to the gap earnings, that gap doesn't capture uh, important uh, developments. And Intangibles the, and goodwill and other things like that. Well, that's that's the balance sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The other side is um, you don't go broke bankrupt when money's easy. And right now, money's extraordinarily easy. Yeah. Um, so far this month, 24% of all leveraged loans have been used to fund dividends to private equity sponsors. So basically, companies piling on debt just to pay private equity, you know, a dividend in the midst of uh, the sharpest, fastest recession in U.S. history. By, by the way, can we, um, on a rhetorical note, can we not call these companies, these private equity leeches, sponsors. How about promoters? I say leeches. I sound like I sound like somebody who's attacking Mitt Romney. Wait, no. Well, they're not. They, they add value. Some of them. I, I just I just think that private equity is is uh, too popular, gone too far, and is uh, is now predicated upon the institution of easy money and the uh, predation on corporate balance sheets that uh, these people are meant to uh, be the stewards of. Yeah. So that's a little editorial aside. But the, 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 the source of, of the speculative fervor is, uh, is the first degree, I think, is, is money. It's money makes the mayor grow, go, grow too. But money makes the mayor go is an epigram of yesteryear on Wall Street. You know, it's a, it's a truism today too. But if you look at rates of expansion, in various monetary aggregates over the past uh, six or 12 months, really it's quite remarkable. The Fed's balance sheet over the past 12 months is up by 85.8%. Uh, M1, the narrow definition of money over the past 12 months is up 40%, 4.0, and the broader definition of money, M2, is up 23% year over year. And uh, these are rates of growth you uh, uh, rarely see in peacetime in this country. I think at one point in the spring, uh, uh, for many weeks on end, the rate of M3 was the, uh, which is not uh, officially reported, but which can be constructed from existing data. Shadow Stats does this. Uh, M3 gross is the fastest ever registered in peacetime, modern peacetime America. And, you know, I, I think basic primitive monetarism has been rather discredited over the past generation or so by changes in the turnover rate of money and the changing 
uh, payment systems and the like, but these monetary aggregates are just are really just eye-opening and maybe they can mean something again. Uh, however, to note the recent development in these money flows, uh, the, 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 the Fed's impulse has largely been spent right over the past three months. These, these rates of growth have, have uh, considerably uh, diminished and we'll, we'll see what the, uh, the central bank does. Evan, what do, you, what do you think might be in store for us with regard to the economy and to the Fed's incentive uh, to lay on uh, a more uh, aggressive uh, monetary policy in the months ahead? I mean, what, what might spur that? So in March, uh, when the Congress passed the CARES Act, it actually uh, replaced more than 100% of the income that was lost by, um, by yeah. people who lost their jobs due to coronavirus. So if you actually look, like I believe in July, like personal disposable income was up something like 9.5% year over year, despite the fact that unemployment rate had shot up from, I want to say, like 4% to like 10.5% or something along those lines. The problem is the CARES Act unemployment benefits expired in July 31st. Well, President Trump has signed in a supplementary unemployment uh, package uh, from FEMA. It's much more difficult for states to access, and they often have to reconfigure the computer system to actually use it. So that's falling off. The other thing that's falling off is most state unemployment benefit programs last for approximately six months. As the lockdowns really picked up in uh, March and April, we're going to see a lot of people who have been receiving state unemployment benefits actually uh, stop receiving those uh, in September and in October. So we're going to see a lot of um, government transfer payments that had been holding up consumer spending expire. Um, Congress has not passed a new stimulus bill, although President Trump in the last day or two has talked in uh, much different terms, uh, actually pushing Republicans to do it. But um, we're going to see potentially a loss of income that had been holding up you know, the economy uh, at the same time that the Fed has dramatically expanded its balance sheet. Yeah. Well, you know, um, investors are probably wondering what this is. So what, you know, what does all this mean? Uh, which is uh, always the question when you're talking about cosmic macroeconomic ideas. You know, what's, what's uh, as they used to say, what do you do on Monday morning about this? What's the, what's the investment imperative or the indicated investment course of action? But one of them is, 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 uh, is caution, which is not exactly uh, the favorite investment topic these, uh, these days of uh, red hot speculation. But uh, something that Warren, that uh, Benjamin Graham and David Dodd wrote in 1934 seems to be uh, of, uh, of uh, certainly of relevance, and I dare say of, uh, of, u- of utility too. He said that bond selection is primarily a negative art. It is a process of exclusion and rejection rather than of search and acceptance. And why is that? Well, because with a bond, you get the coupon and your money back. You don't. The bond's not going to double. It's not going to get taken over, or it might get taken over, but that's called an event risk. It doesn't often bode well for the quality of the credit. But a bond is not going to be a hundred bagger in case you happen to walk into the next apple. Evan, you uh, made this point in the current issue of grants about one of the junk bonds you analyzed, right? That people seem to have forgotten this. Yeah, there was a Carvana bond that um, has a call up. The management has the option to call the bond at certain dates. Starting next month, they can actually call it. Until last week, the Carvana high yield bonds, which are rated triple C plus, were trading slightly above their uh, October 2020 uh, call which meant that they technically for a few days had a negative yield. And this is a triple C bond for a company that has never generated profits or free cash flow. Yeah. Speculation, QED. Uh, Not to say that speculation can't run and run and run. It certainly has done that. It may continue to do it. But uh, one of the, you know, one of the paradoxes of low rates, and you know, the, uh, if you listen to these central bankers, they'll tell you what uh, all the good things that uh, low rates can do. Is that, uh, Mark Carney was the uh, governor of the Bank of England until just earlier this year, and um, God, he gave a speech in January, and he says, 
talking about low rates and he's saying the bank's analysis finds that very low interest rates are highly stimulative. Those were his words. Evidence uh, suggests that uh, they, he said that the British public does not have that much at, uh, in savings deposits anyway and that their appreciation and asset value is much more important. Yeah, the vast majority of savers uh, might lose some interest income, he said, but uh, they'll gain that in stock prices or, or house prices or something. And he said this, uh, quote, uh, concerns that low policy rates could weigh on investment because they compress, they cause companies to divert funds towards improving the solvency or defined benefit plans are also overdone because these funds are not that large. And this is uh, the question of uh, underfunded pension plans, big question for public pension plans in this country, as well as for uh, the defined uh, benefit plans that exist in the corporate world. So here, so um, uh, finally, ladies and gentlemen, we have to hear the word finally. Here is one of the, the paradoxes of these very low rates. Uh, and Evan, I want you to, to help us um, walk through the arithmetic of what happens um, at very low rates of interest when you are trying to meet a bogey as our insurance companies, as our pension plans, especially the defined benefit kind of plan. That is to say, when they guarantee you a certain level of income uh, based upon... Uh, you know, the promise you sign up for, right? So let's, so that we have another graph that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I only wish you could see it. And the graph is all about the capital needed to generate $50,000 of income at a given rate of interest. All right. So Evan, help us, walk us through this. Yeah. So 50000 is what you might need to retire on if you are planning to save up for it. Now, if interest rates were 5%, you'd need to save uh, $1 million. The problem is, as interest rates decline, the amount of money you need to sock away to get that $50,000 to uh, live comfortably in retirement increases uh, dramatically. It almost looks like an exponential function. So at um, 2.5%, you need $2 million. At uh, 50 basis points, which is around where the 10-year treasury trades, you need $10 million. At 25 basis points, you know, 0.25%, you need 20 million. And it just goes up from there. Yeah. And if you get down to like eight or seven or eight basis points, you're talking like like $400 million or something. So you guys better start saving. And um, so the, uh, so with respect, uh, all due respect to uh, Governor Mark Carney and to the institution of the Bank of England's eminent ancient institution, they seem only to be looking at the asset side of the balance sheet. There's a liability side. And, at, and as low rates become lower, uh, the cost of meeting the liabilities uh, to savers uh, increases by leaps and bounds, as Evan said, uh, seemingly in an exponential fashion. And it is... Uh, Not just that. Mark Connie was doing uh, an inherent intellectual dishonesty. He was saying that corporate pension plans aren't that large relative to corporate balance sheets, which might be true. But the last 30 or 40 years have seen a dramatic increase in uh, defined contribution plans where employees themselves have to save up for retirement. That doesn't show up on any corporation uh, corporate balance sheet, but it does mean the vast horde of savers need to save more in order to plan for their own right. retirement. Yeah, somebody. So it, it, it's kind of up. Yeah. So somebody has to wear the law. Somebody has to wear the obligation, the liability, right? It's not, it doesn't disappear because it's not, uh, you know, there's an example in the European Union. The EU reported uh, kind of very small print. It's uh, actuarial deficit for its employees. Um, has, by, has jumped by 17 billion euros uh, between 2018 and 2019. 17 billion euros. And because, you know, rates are very low in Europe, indeed, they're well, largely negative. And uh, this is not exactly a cash call on the members of the European Union because the, this is a plan that exists only notionally or virtually. It exists on paper, but nobody has to pay anything into it. They'll, they'll pay as they go. So the European Union is suffering... 
um, the consequences of these extremely low rates, but is not meeting them with cash. It will meet them later with the same fake money. The European Central Bank is now buying up the European government's emissions of public debt. Evan, did we see a story about how, um, yeah, what is it? The uh, European Central Bank is buying more bonds than the improvident, shall we call them? Than the, the, <laughs> yeah. the governments themselves are issuing. Yeah. So if you actually look at issuance net of the ECB's buying, there's negative issuance in Europe this year, notwithstanding the fact that deficits are blowing out due to the coronavirus. Yeah, a- and to the, uh, the state of the economy in general and the continent of Europe. Well, anyway, I've, yeah, that's, that's kind of a half an hour of speech. As you can t- ladies and gentlemen, I, I know this needs a little work, needs a little polish. But I have, um, I have what, uh, four and a half hours, four, 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 five, less than five hours. You get All right, so I got some work to do. So, uh, Evan, thank you for being here. You are here, but not exactly here. You're in, in Brooklyn, which is a great borough, city of New York. Phil, nice to see you. Uh, Eric, thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you. And um, thanks to Matthew Phillips, the winner of our Actually, our first and only contest so far. Undefeated. <laughs> He's one for one. Um, so keep up the good work, Matthew. And ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to you soon on behalf of uh, Current Yield and Grants. I am Jim Grant, and thank you for listening.